0: Once you start getting numbers on the ground, you can start really improving your flock. It might take a couple of years, but all of a sudden you could be up 20%. It's just a numbers game. You've got to get them on the ground to improve. All right, I come up. That'll start. Up you, go.
1: Well, you go. G'day, listeners. This is the Pastoral Potty, proudly brought to you by the folks at Western Local Land Services. I'm your host, Edgars Gresta. Did you know that lamb mortality costs the sheep industry about half a billion dollars a year? Now, some of that's unavoidable. It's natural. But a big part of it comes down to managing the reproduction cycle. So in this episode, we're talking the birds and the bees. Well, ewes and rams, to be more precise. We'll ask the experts about their ewe reproduction strategies, and we'll hear from a couple of farmers about their experience being part of a ewe reproduction group.
2: My name's Dr Sue Hatcher, I run a research development consultancy business called an Outcomes and I do work with a lot of um, clients ranging from corporations down to um, doing some consulting work with producers, mainly in the work of um, you know sheep reproduction, applied genetics, um, I do some data analysis and reporting and so I cover a sort of wide range of subjects in the sheep industry.
1: We're looking at ewe reproduction strategies and such an important thing around farming enterprises is really about how do we rebuild our flocks. There's something that you've said in one of your presentations that not all ewes are the same. What do you mean by that and how should we think about our flock?
2: So variation between animals is a really important thing that we can use um, to make decisions about which ewes to keep in our flock and which ones to take out of our flock as culls because not every animal within the flock's the same. So if you take a, a flock of ewes there's going to be a range in performance. So you're going to have the average performance in terms of how many ewes get pregnant and how many twins and singles they have and, and their um, average reproduction rate but there's also going to be a range. So within that flock you're going to have some really poor poor performing ewes in terms of reproduction that maybe they don't get pregnant, they're lowly fertile if they do get pregnant, they'll only have you know maybe a single lamb, and then the, the the lamb survival to weaning is going to be quite poor. But if you look at the other end of the scale, you've got some ewes and the flock that have amazingly amazing reproduction performance. So, given the same feed and the same um, you know pasture conditions, some ewes um, you know their, their, their differences between the bottom and the top in terms of fertility can be about thirty percent. The difference between the bottom And top ewes in terms of lamb swivel can be about 50%. And that translates into, you know, a difference in some flocks of 100% between the bottom 25 and the top 25 and the number of lambs weaned per ewes joined. So in the context of rebuilding ew flocks and when replacement sheep are expensive, using that knowledge and identifying your best performing ewes in your flock in terms of reproduction is a really good strategy to rebuild your flock. To, to identify and keep those better performers in your flock, the proven reproductive performers.
1: I guess when we think about our flocks in that way, that they're not all the same, how much is it genetics and how much is it the environment?
2: Reproduction is different to other traits. So, reproduction is a key driver of profitability in the flock and so are things like fleece weight and diameter. So, for fleece weight and diameter, they're heritable traits, which means most of the variation you see is really driven by the genes that the animal has. Reproduction is is a heritable trait, but the heritability is much lower, so it's less than ten percent. So most of the variation you're seeing out there in reproduction is due to the environment. And the best way we can one of the ways we can improve reproduction is to actually understand the performance of our ewes and actually make sure they have the best chance to to deliver, on, deliver deliver for us. And that means looking at their condition coming into joining. It means matching their um, looking at their nutrition all the way through the breeding cycle and making sure that when they come into lambing they're in good condition, they're fit and healthy and they're put into an environment in the lambing paddock that's actually conducive for forming that ewe-lamb bond and for conducive to lamb survival
1: something that you've brought up in one of your presentations the super U, and the, when it comes to U selection and even considering a culling process to sort of maximize potential future flocks what should we be looking for and when we're looking for our super you
2: you know pregnancy scanning information one thing it's important for is to actually help you to manage use and manage their nutrition during pregnancy the other important information that pregnancy scanning can give you is to start to identify who are the top performing ewes in your flock. So at one end of the scale, you can use your scanning information to quickly tell you which ewes in your flock are dry, so which ones aren't getting pregnant at all. And generally the best practice we would say is give your ewes two chances. So if they're dry one year, maybe put an ear notch in the ear or something like that to identify them. If it comes around to scanning again next year and they're dry again, well, they should be a priority for culling because they're ewes that are unlikely to get pregnant. And we know that what happens in an early life reproductive performance in the ewe, what happens at their first and second joining is really going to be a really good indicator of what happens as they get older. So if if a ewe comes up to scanning and she's been dry last year and she's dry again, this well, year. she's really one you want to prioritise as a cull from your breeding flock. If she remains in your flock with your pregnant ewes, all she's going to do is compete with them for feed. So it's really important to take those double dries out. Now the other thing we can do too is maintain and, and keep those ewes in your flock that consistently are pregnant with twins, because you're getting, you know, twice the lambs out of them. And so pregnancy scanning information helps you identify those best and those worst performing ewes. Now, if you combine pregnancy scanning with wet and drying, which is something you'd, ideally you would do at marking, and I know marking is a busy time of the year for people, but if you can sort of take the time to, to wet and dry ewes, which means have a look at the outer, look for evidence of whether they've reared their lambs or not, then you'll know from your preg scanning information which ewes have got pregnant, which ones have got singles or twins, then you'll also know which ones have successfully reared their lambs. And all of a sudden you now know which of those top performing ewes you've got, which are the ones that are getting pregnant for you and which are the ones that are rearing your lambs. And they're the ones that are the priority for you to hang, in, hang on into your flock. And what we also found too is with those high performing ewes, it's, it's really worth considering keeping them from other one or two lambing opportunities. I'm not saying keep all of your old ewes, but really go through them carefully. Have a look at their teeth, have a look at their udders, combine it with the information you've found from wet and drying and preg scanning. And those high-performing ewes, it might be 15, it might be 20, it might be 30% of your, of those older ewes, they're really worth having a good think about running them around again and giving them another one or two lambing opportunities. And and what that'll do for you too is from a genetics point of view, that'll keep those good reproduction genes in your flock. So ewes, um, any, any daughters that those high-performing ewes have will have those genes exactly like she had that made her high-performing ewes. So over time... Um, we can use that proportion of reproduction that's genetic and that will build up those numbers of high-performing ewes in your flock.
1: I can't help but think of sporting analogies when you mentioned keeping some of your older ewes on and, and I play in a mixed football team with mixed age groups and you know we've got some really experienced older fellas playing and some younger guys in the team as well and that mix on the field is really beneficial. Can you sort of translate any of that in terms of When we're thinking about our overall ewe reproduction strategies around keeping different age cohorts together, have you got any? Thoughts around that in terms of the mix and the age group?
2: That's definitely, definitely an issue because we know that younger ewes in particular tend to have lower reproductive performance. So we know that if you have a a focus or you have a younger age structure in your flock and you have a high number of maidens coming into their first joining, they're going to have lower reproduction rate because you do get that experience and we do learn as we get older with each reproductive experience. So it's important, particularly for those younger inexperienced ewes, to lamb them in smaller mobs at lambing time. Because you really want to create a really strong bond with their lamb. And if you lamb the younger, inexperienced ewes in larger mobs, there's more chance for lamb stealing and mismothering going on. And so that's one of the key things with the younger, less experienced ewes to really look at having a smaller mob size at lambing.
1: What kind of numbers are you talking about when it comes to mob sizes, generally speaking, for ideal outcomes have you got any kind of numbers that we could think of
2: it's a it's a challenge but the mob size for twin bearing use we want it to sort of be about half that what you'd use for singles so for singles it can be you know up to 400 or so use which i know can be a be a challenge um, in those western areas and for twins the current recommendation is about half that and it's similar for the maiden use the recommendations are about half the sort of mob size you would put your singles in And I do understand that's a challenge for Western producers, but really it's only for a short time of the year. So if you've got a a nice condensed joining period that gives you a condensed lambing period and just the benefits you're going to get from lamb survival by having really good lambing paddocks, it might be worth as a long-term sort of investment, a long-term train of thought for people might start thinking about setting up these smaller lambing paddocks that are specifically optimised to, you know, enhance lamb survival. (laughs)
3: lamb survival's the largest cost to the sheep production industry.
1: That's Dr Gordon Refshorge, research scientist with New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, Agriculture Division.
3: Estimates were made in 2015 that the cost of lamb survival to the Australian sheep industry was about $540 million. At the time, the value of wool and sheep meats to the Australian industry was about
1: $6.1 billion. Gordon says that in order to improve your reproduction, we need to understand the causes of lamb mortality.
3: Ten percent of single lambs on average are dying and it's around about 30 percent of twins, which is too high. If your flock is really well managed and you've been selecting your animals well for repro and you've got a good environment and you're lambing at the right time, single lamb mortality could be as low as three or four percent and twin lamb mortality might be down at, at between 10 and 15 percent. If you aren't managing your animals very well, you're lambing at the wrong time, or things unwind on you, like an abortion storm, like uh, wild dogs run through the flocks, pigs, extra predation, pressure, drought, all of those things will impact on the performance of those ewes. And you start to move away from 15% and you move towards the back end of 25% or even greater. That's the more level. More is really about management. Management includes timing, so lambing at the right time of the year to minimise the exposure of those animals to these more type of events, poor nutrition, large predation pressures and climatic extremes. Then we think about core, there's a level of lambs that are going to die no matter what and there's not much we can do about it in extensive systems but we do need that level to come down, that will require basic research and continues to be an area of active research in the Australian research sector.
1: Gordon says there are about 12 different causes linked to these core deaths in lambs. Things like birth defects or infections during or after birth.
3: If infections get out of control you can have an abortion storm and there's a wide range of organisms that can cause abortions. You might lose 10 or 15% of the lambs to an abortion storm.
1: Then there are a number of factors linked with birth weight.
3: The lightest twin and the lightest triplet have a substantially greater risk of dying That's just because they're small, they're really small. They may not be metabolically mature, their lungs may not have matured by the time they have to move from this intrauterine life to extrauterine, start having to breathe, think for themselves, follow their instinct, instinct, get to their feet and start suckling milk.
1: There are also factors related to not getting enough milk or mismothering.
3: Starvation is a big part of it and mismothering, so they're, they're tied together. You can have ewes like the maidens that have never had a lamb before and they look at this lamb and say, well what did I eat last night? Because I don't want to know what that is, right? And they just get up and walk away.
1: Other challenges include dystokia that are linked to problems or delays with birth.
3: These lambs are stuck and they need assistance Or and if they don't get the assistance, they die uh, and sometimes the ewe can die as well. That's what I would call classic dystokia. There's also a metabolic or a physiological dystopia, which is related to brain damage. Lambs that take too long to give birth whose birth takes too long before they're out uh, and breathing, tend to run out of oxygen. And that can cause a number of problems. In particular, it affects their ability to maintain their body temperature. And it also affects their ability and their desire to suckle milk. So if a newborn lamb that's not suckling milk and is unable to maintain its body temperature, starts to think about how to keep warm and not suckling milk, and if they're not very good at suckling milk in the first place, there's not a strong bond formed with the ewe, and it won't take her long to make a decision that that lamb's not going to be viable and will move on.
4: For people to just stay on their own farm and don't see anything else or do anything else, they're really probably going to struggle to come up with new ideas or try different things, um, you just tend to get in the same old groove, so to speak.
1: That's Stephen McGuffick, merino wool and meat producer, based about 100 kilometres west of Hay, in western New South Wales. He's been part of a Lifetime U group with a bunch of producers in his region.
4: By doing that, that Lifetime U, is we go around to everyone's farms and we look at what they're doing, and you can see what they've tried and whatever, and you actually see firsthand what's going on. So. It really makes you think about what you're doing yourself and think oh yeah perhaps i might try that and see if that works or we sort of have a bit of fun with it it's almost like a bit of a competition particularly between simon and myself we're always talking to each other about how high a percentage scanning percentage we got and stuff like that so it's almost like a bit of a competition i suppose but in in a friendly sort of a way but it's certainly a bit of a buzz Particularly in a year like this, where we, you know, we get record percentages, and probably the same in the sale yards, we've got some record prices. Yeah, but certainly good outcomes are what we're looking for, particularly for me, for the country, and and for my stock. So yeah, what we talk about is coming into joinings, particularly uh, that rising plane of nutrition, is is to get that sheep on the up. You call it, I suppose it. And, and what it is, it's about having that sheep on the improve, maybe putting on weight, but not necessarily, but certainly not being pulled down by dry conditions or anything like that. So sometimes you can be lucky in our areas like we are at the moment, and you'll get uh, you'll get some rain or something like that and, that, and that in itself will do that. That'll put it onto that rising plane of nutrition and you get a little bit of green pick and stuff like that and it gets them going. Otherwise, you might have to... Um, you know, you might have to start a bit of a feeding program just to pick them up coming into that joining period just to get them cycling and then hopefully they're going to join up all, all right. We talk about condition scores and, and they want to be probably ideally in a say a two condition score, but pushing up to two and a half or something like that and coming through the summer. So uh, one of the things we did, we spent a fair bit of time with in the lifetime You was learning how to condition a score um, and understanding you know where your sheep is, not just looking at the sheep in the paddock and say, "Oh use that sheep, you know don't, don't don't look too bad, actually getting them in and when you got them in, put your hand on their back and really understand where it is.
3: If you do undertake condition scoring, you, you want someone to help you learn how to do that definitely, and there should be staff around or consultants that can train you and give you a sense for what's adequate, and what is inadequate. that's really important. Essentially, we're feeling for the sharpness of the bones to help us distinguish between an animal that's just a little bit lower, a little bit higher in a condition score class. But ultimately, the fullness of the eye muscle and the amount of fat cover on top gives you a sense for what the condition score of that animal is. So essentially, if you were to clasp your hands together as if you were about to make a prayer, uh, and as you pull your hands closer to your body, you start to create the spine you'll create a spine of the body of the animal and your fingers can be the spinous processes that run along the ribs of the, the, the dorsal ribs of the backbone when you then open up your hands a little bit and push your wrists out and you start to make like a house shape or a flatter shape you start to run through what i could call body condition scores so when you're starting by making that prayer your condition score one as your hands move apart to becoming almost level with each other, you're up to condition score five, and that really reflects the shape of the back of the animal. What's happening is that the muscle tissue along the loin is filled up with muscle tissue and energy, and the fat tissues and the fat cells are also starting to fill up, and you get a fullness of the loin. What we're looking for is we're not looking for an animal that's just about to make a prayer, And we're not looking for an animal that's got no spine that can be felt, no bones that can be felt. It's a flat-backed animal. We don't want to see those. We want to be finding somewhere, just somewhere in between. You want to be able to just feel those ribs reasonably easily. You want to make sure that there's muscle tissue in that loin, and that's around about going to be a condition score three.
1: I uh, I, I take it you can't practice condition scoring on on your family, right? You can't practice it at home. You've got to do it with the animals. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah uh, you probably it won't be popular, definitely. Uh, and <laughs> Have the, you ever gotten in trouble doing experiments of condition scoring on family members? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I couldn't speak for my repeatability, that's the thing. but when I, when I put my hand on my own back, because I'm, I'm a fully tall, lean kind of guy, but I, I feel like I'm in condition score three and a half, just judging by my loins. so it's it's not right. So it's not the same as a sheep. Uh, you can't do it with your eye. But you can, when the animals are off shears, freshly off shears sheep, you can see what's happening in uh, around that hip and that loin shape. Once those animals start to grow wool, you actually can't do it, and it it really is inaccurate just to look at an animal and say, yeah, they look terrific. You can see a big woolly sheep, nice and round, very forward in condition looking, and go put your hands on there, and you get a different story altogether. You've got to do it. That's the thing. It takes practice. Uh, It's not very hard or expensive to do. Just walk along the race and and, and assess these animals and use it as a tool to learn from.
5: It is a practice makes perfect sort of thing.
1: That's Carolyn Booth. Along with husband Simon, they manage their family farm, Humewood Station, about 40 kilometres west of Bulligal, in western New South Wales and their advice for condition scoring is to be consistent with it.
5: So you can understand when things are a bit tighter what a lower condition score feels like and also having someone beside you that knows what they're talking about and making that assessment and then you can discuss where you think that you might sit so that you can you know, build that knowledge bank up of understanding that, that condition score.
1: There's an ideal condition score, but... Does that look different out in the Western region?
5: I think that the most important thing at joining is the rising plane of nutrition. So you can have a really fat you and brilliant condition score, but if her food quality is going down, she's not going to cycle as well as a, you know, a condition score to you that's all of a sudden, you know, getting an increase in nutrition and, and building up, I think that Probably has a bigger effect on on your conception than an actual standard set condition score.
0: It's it's the rising plane. Like we've had use here, sort of 2.7, 2.8s, which I think by the book should be 3.2s. We've fed them a high protein pulse diet and got incredible results. We've also had big heavy use in a very ordinary season come in and been disappointed with the with the scanning results out of those. So. I think a lot's got to do with looking at the country, looking at the ground and what feeds in front. And if it's not there, I think you need to really seriously think about feeding for conception, which is productivity, no matter what condition score they're in. If, If the country hasn't got the feed and the cover, you have to seriously think about spending some money on them to get that conception right.
1: Two years ago, the conditions on Simon and Carolyn's property told them to rest the country. And so they containment fed their ewes during joining with great results.
0: Everything was locked up straight after shearing, so probably eight weeks prior to joining. We joined everything in containment areas. Um, We fed probably above the recommended rate. Um, District average for conception was probably 25 to 30%. We managed with 90% conception. We left one mob out that were trail fed the same amount of um, grain as the containment areas. And I think there was a 12%, they were 12% lower than the containment area. So yes, we, we've done that in in the past. The conditions made us bring them in. We fed through the 2000s in the paddocks and destroyed the country. We won't do that again. If we If we're forced to feed, they come in and we've proved that you can get the conception. We compare with everyone around us. And we know what everyone's getting, and we know what we're getting. There was probably a sixty seventy percent difference between containment feeding and people who just left them in the paddock.
1: Looking back at those results comparing to to the the district average, what do you put it down to?
0: I think the the sheep in the in the bigger paddocks were walking off excess grain. We had um, you know say a couple of thousand sheep in a ten or fifteen acre paddock. You give them as much straw as you can. They're content. they're fed every second day. Uh, The ones in the paddock were getting fed every second day, but they're still walking around. They're burning off what you're giving them. So I think their nutrition levels were down because they were walking off. The containment area ones were sitting down happy as chewing their cud and, you know, the rams were doing what rams were meant to do.
1: And and I guess you get that, you know, resting the country as well as an added benefit there if you're doing the containment feeding, which you've sort of experienced the hard way.
0: Yes, yes, resting the country, especially this, this western, we're, we're sort of bush bush country with, with a bit of grass country and a bit of creek country. Um, once you knock it around, it, it just takes forever to come back. You, you've yeah, It's a two-way street. You, you get the conception and you're also looking after that country, hoping for a bit of a rain so you can put them out to, to lamb them down and, um, yeah, start again.
2: About looking at the whole system and opportunities to improve will differ from property to property, and and I think in some in some respects that's probably why we haven't made the gains in reproduction rate that perhaps some people in the industry think think we should have because there's not one simple thing you can do. It's about understanding the system and understanding what's involved at each step and doing all those little steps right there isn't one single thing you can say to someone if you do this you're going to improve your lamb survival that's not how it works there's a whole lot of little things you need to do you need to do well and that that's the key to improving reproduction you've really got to know know where your flock's at understand the year requirements at different stages of the cycle and make sure they're being met to the best of your ability and that's how you're going to improve reproduction you can't just set and forget because that's when things are going to happen that are going to really impact on lamb survival and weaner growth and survival
1: yeah someone Once said to me, and this is actually a long way away from farming because it's around marketing, but the same rules apply, which is if you don't measure it, you can't manage it.
2: Measure to manage is a really good catchphrase for sheep flocks, because if you don't understand what's happening, how do you know what's the best thing to do? If you don't know, you know, your fertility, if you don't know your twinning rate, if you don't know your lamb survival rate or your weaner survival rate or your weaner weights, if you don't know what's happening, how can you possibly manage it to make improvements? So you need to understand where you are now. So it's almost like you draw your line in the sand. Here is where I am now. Where do I want to go? The people, people might find if they understand where, where they are now that I'm happy where I am now, that I know where I am now, you know, it meets my requirements, but... Most people will have a look at where they are now and they'll be able to identify some simple things they can do to get them maybe a 1% or 2% change. One of the things that we've been working on is you know, just by taking out those twice dry ewes, you can make a gain in your reproduction rate in your flock of about 4%. So just by taking out twice dry ewes on a regular basis, you can get a 4% gain in number of lambs weaned per ewe per year just by taking out those dry ewes. And then by identifying those best performing ewes, you can make another 4 or 5% gain by keeping your better ewes in your flock. Um, so that's just by management things using information. Um, you can also then add some extra benefits on by using you know, sheep breeding values when selecting your RAMs and ewes. And, and when you're going to your, your RAM source and you're looking at which Rams to buy to have a look at some of the reproduction sheep breeding values and start including some of that in your selection decisions as well because that way you're getting the better gene even though genetics is only controlling you know a reasonably small part of the reproductive process it's giving you small incremental gains over time and so now you can gain an extra half a percent or in reproduction rate on an annual basis just by improving and using genetics when you select your rams and potentially even you use. So it's, there's a whole lot of tools available that can give you these additive gains at different stages of the cycle.
3: Of all the tools, if you do absolutely nothing at all and you decided that you're right, um, but you'll only change maybe one thing, it would be uh, looking at the udders at marking. Absolutely. That tells you that this animal is able to rear a lamb or not. Um, and. Taking those dry ewes out of marking enables you to have the rest of the cohort that needs great nutrition to weaning. Uh, There'll be fewer animals going out in those pastures when they're limiting in their feed base. So wetting and drying is a long-term proposition and probably brings about most of the gains that you can achieve in a short period of time before you have to start implementing other things.
2: It's a really important thing for people to understand where their flock sits now. And the only way you can do that is to actually have a look and collect some data. So start, you know, counting the number of ewes in, looking at their condition score, matching that with their pregnancy scanning rates, and really putting together the whole picture so you understand where your flock sits now in terms of your condition coming up to joining, the lambing potential you're getting from scanning, how many of those lambs you're getting on the ground. And then you can set it out and have a look at your whole system and find out which part of the system you can improve on and which part of the system you're going okay. And that'll be different from producer to producer. You're never going to get, you know, 100% use pregnant. You're never going to get 100% of your lamb survive of the scanning potential. But it's about putting a system in place that gives them the best chance of doing so. You want to set up a system where you understand what your flock's doing, you understand the environment you're putting them in, you're maximising and matching their requirements with the environment, giving them an environment that's going to promote lamb survival, weaner survival. And that's what we have to think about for reproduction.
5: If you're fit and healthy yourself, you're going to have fit and healthy children and suppose likewise with sheep if you look after the ewe the ewe will look after her lamb which will progressively become your weaner which will become your maiden and if they've had a tough beginning in life then they're not going to join up as quickly and you know you're going to have a lot more dry maidens if they haven't had a good start in life so look after your ewe and she'll look after you.
1: Pastoral Potty is produced by the Love Project on behalf of Western Local Land Services. To catch all the other episodes, subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player and make sure to share it with a mate. Thanks for listening.